Changing Minds, Changing Lives, The Liaison and Diversion Diaries, a podcast run by frontline workers discussing all things criminal justice in relation to multiple and complex needs. Our Liaison and Diversion Service supports people with vulnerabilities in custody, courts, prison and the community, helping to bridge the gaps for people accessing services. Tune in for our monthly podcast where we will feature guests from all walks of life discussing issues affecting us in the here and now. So welcome to another episode of the Liaison and Diversion Diaries, Changing Minds, Changing Lives. Today we'll be talking about the Prison Liaison Service, what support they provide and looking at the lived experience aspects of the roles. In the studio today we have members of the Prison Liaison team. Can you guys take a moment to introduce yourselves? My name's Aruna Patel and I'm the Prison Liaison Practitioner and Lead. Um, I'm Earl Salter, I am a STR worker with the Prison Liaison and Diversion Team. Uh, I'm Samaric, well, uh, a lived experience STR worker for the prison team. And I'm Jasmine Cole, a peer mentor for the Prison Liaison Service. Hi guys. So if we kick off, how did pr- the Prison Liaison Service come about? Um, what support do you provide? How do you get referrals? So I'll start off with that. Uh, I think the Prison Liaison Service came about uh, back in 2018 and prior to that uh, discussions with local commissioner and the service lead at the time and some of the practitioners of the from the outreach team in the sense of we were seeing people that were coming through police custody and courts and once they were sentenced and they were ending up in uh, into the prison estate there was no further involvement from the liaison and diversion perspective because the way liaison and diversion services was commissioned, it wasn't post sentence once people have gone into uh, uh, prison establishment. And what we started to notice when we was coming into police custody and the courts, and we were seeing individuals, we were building some kind of rapport with them while the, whilst they were in custody, and then they ended up in prison. So we started to go into the prison on, on legal visits and stuff like that, and obviously speaking to practitioners in, in outreach to say, look, we need to do this because we we've built some kind of rapport and we need to continue delivering the support. Um, so we went about into the prison, started doing legal visits and we started getting good outcomes with some of these individuals. And then I brought it to the attention <coughs> of the local <coughs> West Midlands uh, co- commissioner to say, look, I think we need to find a way to bridge this gap. And then the service manager at the time and, and the commissioner sat down, spoke to the prison, looked at the, some of the data around how many people are getting seen from the liaison and diversion that have ended up in custody and how many people are going into HMP Birmingham on a monthly basis. And the numbers were quite high from a, uh, from a HMP Birmingham perspective, but we had to look at it from how do we give that kind of intense support, support these individuals for that transition to the community and able to sustain that kind of person-centered delivery and kind of intense support. So the numbers were narrowed down to 11 a month at that time from the liaison and diversion service to be referred to the prison team. And then I we applied for the I applied for the job, got the job and there was a practitioner on the board and that's how the service came about. Okay, um, so we, we, we start by carrying out an assessment of what we would call the health and social care needs 
um, and assess what things they've already got and support in place and then go from there really so support could be around benefits housing mental health um getting to any appointments that they might have after they're released um anything anything to do with their well-being and some to, would support them with i think for me the important factor within that is i think because of the collaboration work that goes on to, to get that engagement and get the support going into the community. I think looking at it, not just from a clinical perspective, but looking at it from a lived experience perspective as well. And I think the joint collaboration work helps with identifying certain support needs by a practitioner might have missed something and the lived experience might have seen something that the practitioners haven't seen. Uh, and the same, vice versa, mm-hmm. if a practitioner mm-hmm. might see something from a clinical perspective that we might not identify. And I think it's really important for us to work in that collaboration approach to approach to support these individuals into the community with all of them different needs. I, from my <coughs> point of view, I think the real important support that we offer is to help the lads who have been released from custody navigate their first day back into yeah, the community absolutely. in the sense of attending a handful of appointments that they may have to attend, um, probation, substance misuse, um, GP benefits, and then if they've been allocated some supported housing, helping them to reach that accommodation. And without the support, sadly, this is where a lot of lads who have been released fall with the expectation that they're able to do all of that on their own volition. Mm -hmm. And sadly, not many people manage to complete all of the appointments needed. And that first day of release is so busy for that individual. and that support is so so important and it's busy for for you guys as well you know who are supporting them to get to all these appointments and the time it takes the transport um what time the appointments are and i think the biggest thing is getting them to their accommodation in time as well because they could potentially not have a roof on their head Mm -hmm. after all this at the end of the day when at four o'clock is still trying to find somewhere for them to stay Um, I, think, I think that the 24 hours is definitely an integral part of, of for the individual to get some yeah. kind of foundation uh, for them to progress in that kind of rehabilitation or kind of recovery journey. But at the same time, I think it's more than just the 24 hours yeah. because I know how it was originally <clears throat> set up. It was that 72, worth, 72 hours worth of support in the sense of the intensity. But it depends on the individual's needs at that time and what they want support with and are they actually... The main priority is that first day and then the other stuff that we've... Mm. Because we've got up to eight weeks to work with them in the community. So the the the, the, the important is, what is what's on their release plan. Mm. What is it that they need to do on that day to make sure that they get to their appointment. So I think we do take it by... Some people don't want picking up from the gate as well. To come trying again, we'll touch base with them on the same day or the next day. But I think for me, the best part of the job for me is there's two parts to it. So the prison side to it, when we're meeting the individuals, trying to build a rapport with them. And definitely they're picking up from the gate because I think without that, I don't think we can successfully deliver a service if you're not picking people from the gate. And I think the whole ethos of that is so people don't come back through the criminal justice system. And what has your experience been so far, uh, Jasmine? Yeah, um, it's been a really good experience, but I do agree with what you've just said about picking them up from the gate I think it can be quite overwhelming and when your life hasn't had any structure to be given so many things to do on one day Mm. is a lot for a person who Mm. struggles maybe to make a phone call to their doctors 
Um, and I've been with Earl to collect, and Earl and Samia, to collect a few people now from the prison. And uh, they've even stated themselves that if we hadn't have been there, that they wouldn't have carried out the things that they were asked to do and they would have ended up back inside. So it's definitely crucial. And, um, and, and, and it obviously impacts on people's mental health as well. You know, that's a lot for a person who's already struggling with mental health issues to ask them to mm-hmm. carry out all those tasks. So I think we alleviate that stress by being there. So when they are released, when people are released, what are they released with already? What should there be in place already? So we work really closely with resentment. And previously, before I started on the job, I had a view of the resettlement team in the prison because sometimes when we used to try getting hold of them, it was really hard to get involved with them and get through to them. But when I've actually witnessed the work that they actually do within the prison and have them resettlement plans put into place for them on release, everything's in place for them so their resettlement appointment for the accommodation would have been sorted. And sometimes their accommodations ain't ideal but that's what they've got to go and trying to get at. And then you've got the substance misuse that have their substance misuse appointments. It could be on the day release or it could be the day after. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> we'll sort out the email accounts, benefits and stuff like that if people needed the benefits setting up and stuff. So a lot of the resettlement side of it's done. And then from a healthcare perspective, if they're on medication and, that, and they, they'd be given medication and so on. So we'll do the liaison between the mental health services in the prison as well to bridge some of the gaps. And sometimes the mental health services are not aware of certain things that we're aware of. So there's been a good few cases over the good few years where we're continuously liaising with all of the agencies within the prison for that transition to be smoother than that. And I think from a lived experience perspective, you, for me, I have to look at it if it was me or one of my family members, how would I want my resettlement to be? And I think picking up from the gate and when all of that's in place, I think they're doing a great job in HMB Birmingham with people mm-hmm. that are getting released even when people are getting released short notice they're still doing things in the evening for them to make sure that they're being accommodated and so on not everybody gets accommodated but the processes are done for them yeah they they are um i suppose i can agree with samir i think i might have never worked with resettlement before and this and they are they are quite a busy a small team but a very very busy team um because i suppose the amount of uh, prisoners that come in day in day out and especially to work with prisoners who and get them what they need upon release in such a short time that they've got to work with them and the prisoners are quite complex um, in terms of what needs they have and going back to Jasmine's point of structure some have never come in some have got a structure and lost it but some have equally never had a structure Mm. Uh, so you know you're throwing them and setting them up to fail sometimes if they've got appointments to get to upon release and they've got no means to do that or they've got no support to do that um, and then a lot of them end up or quite a substantial number will end up on a recall because they've breached within the first couple of days of release or even you can put so. a flip side to that in the fact that that's structured and routine within the prison yeah. environment they don't feel safe outside yeah to absolutely come because there's no yeah, structure there yeah. for them no and I, I suppose we've all come across the individuals who want to go to prison because of that reason, there's no structure and prison can provide them with, you know, a roof over their head at least. Um, and that's what that's what sometimes they want. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that you touched upon there about there's definitely 
quite a big percentage really of lads that find themselves in custody where that's their comfortable now that yeah. that's their norm now yeah, yeah. and i suppose what we hopefully get to do is actually let them know that doesn't have to be your absolutely. norm that yeah, there is something absolutely. else it, it yeah. does require some efforts on your part but yeah. this yeah. doesn't have yeah. to be your norm and again it comes down to uh, some of that comes down to our relationship with them that first introduction with them <coughs> how we speak to them um, how we come across for them to want to work with mm. us and I get think, that motivation to I, work I, with I us. think the big big is language absolutely language is really important for for communication or interacting with these individuals and i think like i've heard stories or when i've spoke to people and that i've been released and that we've ended up coming back to prison because we get fed three times a day we've got a roof over our head we can shower and we keep because i was dying out there yeah if i stayed out any longer i would have been dead so it it becomes a kind of respite Mm. and and it's sad to 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 see that individuals have gone to the (coughs) the the gifts of desperation to end up back in the prison estate to just to able to survive. And I think from my own personal experience of working with these in a core of individuals, they're in that kind of revolving doors of offending. They've got multiple vulnerabilities that are attached to the offending and a lot of it stems to substance misuse and so on. And I think if there is no support in place for them, the reality is that they're going to come back into the criminal justice system. And going back to what Earl was just saying, I think it's really important that about accountability and responsibility from the individual's perspective because the way our service is set up, we're helping you to put that foundation in place. So the kind of conversations I have with individuals, look, you can't blame the system or play that, that the system's to blame and the system hasn't done anything for you because we've helped support you and navigate you through a process that's quite difficult on the day of release. So you need to take a bit more responsibility in engaging with us for us to continue delivering the work. And that's what I try to say to individuals, that you need to meet us halfway. Because when we do accomplish all the departments and they turn around and say, they say thank you to us, I have to really remind themselves to say, no, thank you for making for engaging in the process because without you engaging in the process, we can have all of these things in place. If you don't turn up, what are we going to deliver to you? So would you say that's one of your biggest challenges when meeting someone at the gates then? Or what kind of other challenges do you encounter that you think really hold you back in supporting somebody? I think it is a, a massive challenge because you can't force someone to do something that they don't want to do. But I think where our role is um, really important is we're coming from lived experience backgrounds. So we have an insight to how things emotionally feel and the barriers and challenges that are ahead of them. So our job is just to kind of empower them again and encourage them to make steps to believe, for them really, firstly, to believe in themselves. And by us being there, shows that somebody cares. And, you know, and that's massive, because when you're in a place where you believe nobody really gives a toss about you, by being present and physically there to help them to achieve the things that they're set out to do on that day, um, it's the first step to empowering them, I think. Really. I think I can put a really different spin to this in the mm. sense of a challenging for an individual getting released and from a service perspective. We can go into the prison and that motivation is really, they're on the hype, yeah, we're going to do this X, Y, and Z. 
as soon as they come out the gate, mm. the challenge is with their own thinking at times. Because of the kind of overwhelming obsession of using or they've met somebody through the reception uh, before they've been released and, and they're talking about using, straight away we've had a couple of occasions where we've, everything's in place and we're standing outside the gate for two, three hours. They've come out and they've said, oh, you know what, I don't need the support. I, I, I'm going to do I'll get there myself. And then two days later, we looked at the admissions and they're back in prison again. Yeah, I completely agree with what you say. But, uh, like, and that is right what you're saying. And that's why I said, like, it's down to an individual. But I think the crucial part we're doing is planting the seed and then it's for them to water it, if you like, with mm. our help. Mm. But also, the other side of that is... Yeah, we might have them individuals that do do go through that, but then where we also give them another go. <laughs> so when they do come back a few days later, or we see their name, we 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 don't give we don't form that judgment on them to say yeah. actually we're not going to try again, um, and we will try quite a few times in terms of engaging because change for everybody or motivation comes differently at different times. Yeah. So um, I think. We're kind of quite open and flexible to how we work with people and we never really close a book to anyone. We just go on to the next sort of time that they're there and you know something different might have happened on their journey. That's why they're back again. And it's not always the same story. There's always something that they'll tell you that a little bit different. Um, I think one of the other challenge, one of the challenges I really struggle with, I suppose, is we can do everything but it's when they talk about some of the accommodation that they're putting <laughs> upon release. Mm. And some of them really, like you said, that they'd rather come back to prison because some of the accommodation that is out there, we all know, and really our hands are tied in terms of what we can do, but they're basically not fit to live in. Um, and you're sending these people back who are really complex or even users, even though we've set them up and done everything for them on the day, they're going back to accommodation at the end of the day where that, you know, there's other right. users yeah. around them. Yeah. Um, and I think they're things that I really struggle with because I think, oh gosh, we we set in the, we're trying our hardest not to to let them fail, but we're putting them in an environment where clearly where that could happen. I think for me, early early on in the project, and um, from a from an emotional challenge for me as an individual was when you put so much work into somebody, and you've got everything in place for them. And then they've ended up back in custody. And then you have to restart that process again. Yeah. And I find that challenging at one stage, at the early part of, of the project, where I, going back to what you just said now, Runa, like, they're coming three times, four times, ten times, continue to try to engage mm -hmm. with that individual and something might change for them. Mm -hmm. So I try to live by that ethos to say, okay, you know what, how many other times people come back through the system and you do see many come back through, keep continuing to try with them. And then we've had cases where individuals where we have made that kind of massive impact because they've come in a few times and we've continued to engage in that process with them. So so there's a flip side to each thing. So it can be challenging but at the same time, it can be really rewarding as well. Can you give an example of the, that in itself, like what you managed to achieve for that individual? So I've had one individual that was barred from basically he was living in an accommodation he had his own place and and, and his exclusion zone was 500 meters away from his house 
and he had so alcohol. It's not for the airport, no, you know. no alcohol dependencies. Yeah. Yeah. And every time he had he had a drink, the police was something so he was, so he was in Sutton, Sutton Caulfield. Yeah. Mm. So the police station is like five hundred meters from me now. So as soon as he passed that police station, straight away he's in the no go zone. Do you know what I mean? But as soon as he used to have a drink, he was back in custody because he used to breach the order. So we started seeing him in and out in the prison. So we're going, and he was really, he was about 55 years old, this guy was. And he was a, a really gentle woman. He didn't, he didn't have a drink. Really polite and kind and mm. kind of loving kind of guy. He used to like, even like he used to help out the homeless when he was sometimes homeless himself and buying food and so on. And that's what kind of character. But we continued to try with him. We kept seeing him inside and it's, we wasn't the only ones that I've actually put some kind of work into him. There was other agencies that I've tried similar experiences. So he's been going through this rigmarole for over 10, 12 years in this process. And then we, so now coming back to accommodation providers, and, and it wasn't the best accommodation in the sense of where it was. It was clean, but the support workers were quite intense in delivering the support. So we started supporting him. Then we done him a housing first referral and, so because obviously he got kicked out of the flat and throughout that process we continued to work and he didn't come back from the criminal justice system and the positive thing was I got a call about two three months ago and we finished working with him at the start of the pandemic because we've done everything with him we got him into the housing first project and stuff and I got a call a couple of months later from the same housing provider that you know why he's gone into rehab so what I'm trying to get at is like we continue to keep trying with these individuals and even though we've done the groundwork because we're limited eight weeks, but then a year later you get a phone call from the supporting accommodation to say, now nah, you know what, he's moved into a dry house and he's working towards uh, going into a rehab. So what I'm trying to get at is that is, that is a positive story in the sense of we've done the groundwork, we put the foundation in place with him and made sure he's got the right support in place. How did that make you feel personally? I think for me personally, it, it made me, I was happy for him. And I was glad that we tried and continued to try with him. And he was a really nice gentleman, you know what I mean? And I can't I can say he was a really nice guy. Mm. So then that kind of brings it into um, <coughs> PLS starting with employee and experts by lived experience. Um, what did that, in essence, mean for you personally as well? And what does this do for the clients? I'm sorry, sorry, will you, you say that, that question again? <laughs> I, I said that out loud and I thought that didn't make any sense. <laughs> so the Prison Liaison Service effectively started by employing people with lived experience. Um, what did that mean for you personally? So when you got the call to say, oh, you've got the job, despite having your lived experience, what kind of trials did you go through and things like that? How did you feel? I, I was... Um... Because me being employed with Prison Liaison Service was really my second employment where my lived experience was basically my CV. Uh, um, and But I was elated the fact that, wow, you're employed by the NHS. You're, you're employed by an organisation that's held in such high esteem across the nation and especially with the pandemic and the NHS being the headlines every single day and what have you and then acknowledging you're part of that now Earl mm-hmm. and, and I think sometimes I can actually almost forget that that it is an achievement to have got to where we are where we're employable and employed by the NHS and that we do have value and we do bring something to the team we're not just 
uh, tokenistic. We are actually valued members of the um, liaison and diversion team in our situation, the prison liaison uh, team. Uh, so how did it make me feel? Proud. Uh, and it made my family feel proud. It made my mum feel proud. Um, made my children feel proud. Um, and then allowing me to actually reflect upon my own journey of being somebody that would have been a service user of prison liaison service if it existed when I was experiencing what I was experiencing to now being employed to help me basically mm. um, and all the stuff that we just touched upon about the lads that we get to see in prison and the issues they um, face and what have you just listening to the little discussion just thinking yeah I remember that I remember that I remember that uh, having experienced mm. it all myself and um mm. And yeah, where prison does become the norm, and it does seem quite strange, but this was definitely one of my realities. And I know that we've worked with lads who are basically telling my story, where they're finding themselves up before a magistrate again and again and again, and actually worried that the magistrate might give them bail. Mm. Uh, and that's just a real strange place to be in, where you don't want bail. I need you to send me to prison because I'm safe there. And sadly, that's the reality. It was my reality and it's, I see that reality every day with the work that we do now. So how did I feel through being employed through the trust and the prison liaison team? Just very proud and actually privileged, but also, and very grateful, but also knowing that I've actually put the graft in to make this a possibility um, because me being employed by the trust, it's like six, seven years in the making of like doing apprenticeships in other organisations to get to this point. Mm. But it's like you've just described there, how strange when someone says, my lived experience was my CV. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, very different to me being sat in the room and saying what's on my CV and working with you guys who are saying, uh, but but what you're saying there, just how you put it, Earl, that makes me really proud to have worked alongside you guys or be working and have that as part of what I'm doing. Um, and we learn from each other, I suppose, and the discussions we have about every single person that come across and the debates we have. And they're so healthy because we take we all take away something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. It I just works. I listen to, to Earl and... and, and and the achievement because I've been Earl's been a part of my journey for over the last five years and I've been a part of Earl's journey for the last five years outside of work to go and trying to get on and I think for me listen to where Earl's because I know what graft Earl's put in and Earl knows what graft I've put in to get to where I am today and so for me when I got employed uh, by the NHS and I'm going to be blatantly honest to go and trying to get in the sense of when I started as a peer mentor for the Laser and Diversion Service on an honorary contract with the shelter I was told by management that at that time, don't have your hopes up to get employed by the trust because the trust isn't probably ready to employ people mm. like in your kind of calibre in the sense of mm. a long criminal history to come trying to get out. But I worked so hard and was involved in the team to come trying to get out. And I felt welcomed, I felt inclusive. And, and when I did apply for the job, because the way <clears throat> the job was set out and for this to get passed through the managers above the manager at that time, it wasn't an easy task to do mm. because you have to get them signed off and stuff. And where my job criteria was essential lived experience in the criminal justice system. 
and with Earls because we showed that demonstration and then that economy inclusivity, Earls job was more like desirable. Do you know what I'm trying to get at? But the lived experience element was it there because it was the important factor. And then obviously Earl coming in, delivering and, and getting the job. For me, I was like so proud of the fact that I worked these 18 months. And there was that time when I was about 12 months, 12 months into the layers and the diversion service thinking, I ain't going to keep continuing doing this. Do you know what I'm trying to get at? There was these kind of negativities going through me. I can't, I can't, if I'm not going to get employed from the work that I'm doing into the trust, I don't really want to go anywhere else because I felt part of the team. And then that job uh, uh, was created and, and I was successfully uh, employed for the job. It, it was a really a powerful moment for me to say, you know what, in fact, I was a career criminal in and out of the criminal justice system for decades. And I've changed my life around today and I'm trying to support people in the same boat as me. Do you know what I mean? And it, it is our lived experience. It is our CV, but at the same time, I believe the education and the development we've done through being on these apprenticeships over the years has got us to where we are today. So the merit is down to the work that we've put in. Mm. So you've got an interesting CV, haven't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. it's like built on both sides. <laughs> yeah, it's building. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do think it's important what Samir just said there, because as I was just listening to her, I was just thinking, because we say it quite flippantly, really, um, put it out there that, yeah, my history is my CV, you know what I mean? But no, it's part of, like, my lived experience now is more than my substance misuse, is more than mm-hmm. my criminal history. My lived experience now is also seven years of volunteering and working in other organisations. That's part of my lived experience that's brought me into this role now. So it's nowhere near the amount of time of my lived experience from the life that's very similar to our service users, but I'm slowly chipping away and my volunteering and work experience is becoming a substantial part of my life as well now. Like, you know, like talking about kind of CVs and stuff. Like, I've actually created a CV now. Do you know what I'm trying to get at? And when I actually look at my CV and what I've actually done in the last four and a half years, being a part of the Lays and Diversion, probably people haven't achieved that in 10, 15 years, what I've achieved in four and a half years. And I've got a really good CV on the stuff that I've been involved in. And I think the, why I feel so proud about it is because I've been, I feel inclusive. I don't get these kind of red tapes or barriers put onto me from the team. Mm-hmm. They want to help me develop. Do you know what I'm trying to get at? Mm-hmm. And I always go and speak to them first before I embark on anything. To so, so nobody else goes and says, oh, Samir's doing this. Do you know what I'm trying to get at? Mm-hmm. It's really important to have that kind of integrity intact and being transparent within the process. And I haven't found no reluctancy in my pers- professional growth or personal growth within the team. So that makes me feel proud. Where I started and I wanted to give up, and I've continued to stay on the path that I'm on. It's took me into a direction where I've been involved in a lot of stuff. And, and I'm quite proud of the fact that I was a career criminal. And I've got a balance between the two. <laughs> oh, what I mean by that is... I'm not saying I'm going out, going out grafting and so on. Yeah. But what I'm trying to get at is I try to balance the two because I still got to think from that criminal mindset. If you get what I mean in the context of that's my template I'm not losing that for nobody mm. and I have to stick to them true values mm. and sometimes I might come across disagreements with people but I still can try to keep my ethos intact so it's really important that I balance the two and not get because you can easily I know this is like going into a different direction in the conversation mm. but you can institutionalised within a 
within the bureaucracy and the Germany and, and become more corporate yeah. and lose a lived experience within that process. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, when I first started and I was on the prison pathway, I remember the commissioner turning around and said, you've been employed due to your own expertise. So don't ever let anybody take that away from you. And I'll hold on to that and I'll, I'll, I'll keep to it because I ain't getting sucked into this kind of too clinical around certain things because it's not my role to do that. Do you know what I'm trying to And I respect the other people's expertise and they're going to show me something different. But how do we work collectively together? And I think mm -hmm. hence why I embarked on this journey. But like, like Earl's just said, it's that discussion that takes place after we've seen somebody together. Yeah. Um, so it's your lived it, and and you guys are put put back into that situation very quickly. I see when we walk through them prison doors, um, and so whoever we speak to, you you can put mentally put yourself back there, and like Earl said earlier, you're hearing your story through someone else now. So it's it's really that discussion we have afterwards to work together, and put that plan together for that individual is probably quite an important. It's uh, really important. It's really you know, important because so you, you, you get the you get the sort of clinical expertise and the expertise of everyone else and yours, and that's and what makes us the I team believe, that we and are. I think me and Earl are on the same page. I believe that lived experience alone isn't enough. To mm. come trying to get, and that's the, that's my reality. Then mm. if you're mm. coming in that mindset, thinking that lived experience, but and that's it. It's I, I it hasn't been my experience because I know without the clinical support. Because we're dealing with vul really vulnerable individuals. Do you know what I'm trying to get at today's organ? It's like there's a lot of risk that's attached to some of these guys. And I think we have to have the clinical intervention here to be safe in what we're delivering because mm. it's somebody's life that we're dealing with. Do you know what I'm trying to get at? It's really important that we make sure we've got the best care in place for them. And then we have individuals like Jasmine who will keep joining us. So yeah. we'll always be stay grounded. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I think like what you just said there. It take, I think that's why this pilot's successful because you're working together from all angles to make that change and that's why it's you know it's it's doing well but from my perspective like for me I, I had really good jobs I'd worked for the NHS and then I ended up taking drugs and ending up in an in and out of the criminal justice system never thinking in my heart thinking how am I ever going to get employed again I don't know how I'm going to do this now. I never had a criminal record before. And now I've got, like, a bit of an extensive one, you know. And so I didn't think... I've, it was That was a great barrier for me. How am I going to be a productive member of society? But I believed in the process. So from when I become desperate enough to want to change my life, I didn't... My sight wasn't here to about employment. My sight was... I just need to get a day clean and making those steps and gradually building myself up. Eventually, everything I'd been through built my character and opportunities then presented themselves to me and luckily enough for me, um, my lived experience was something that came into play for this role and all my anxieties, if you like then, weren't as high as they had been because actually no you're willing to employ me through the experiences that I've been through and I do agree with what Samir says it's not a lived experience alone but you've got to start somewhere and along the way and and as you've always encouraged me not to take away from that you'll find your way just as I found my way from the brinks of despair where I once was 
with nothing and no one around me. Uh, dirty black hands looking like I lived on the street, even though I didn't. People on the street would say to me, do I live on the street? And I'd be like, proper offended, no. <laughs> but, you know, like, but, you know I, I was homeless, you know, just in a probably a bit of a different way, like sofa surfing or, you know, staying in blocks of flats or whatever I had to do to get by. So um, it's just a beautiful thing that, that, you know, that these schemes are up and running where they actually um, value my experience and not only value my experience but also um, consider that that experience will impact an individual who's going through those same things and who better to talk to than the person that's been there themselves. And it may be, I might not have been through everything exactly that they've been through but that doesn't matter. My compassion levels are already in place. Absolutely. I think it's about genuine empathy, isn't it? I think yeah. Yeah. you can you can empathise with something on, on on a basic and surface level, in the sense of from a compassionate perspective. But then there's an empathy level where you can identify with that that yeah. feeling or that kind of given situation at that time yeah. due to your own personal experience. And I think everybody's got lived experience in some form. But I think the criminal justice kind of element of having lived in the criminal justice brings a kind of added value to the to the team. And I think we have come leaps and bounds from a team perspective. Like it only started off with the two of us in, in, in the layers on a diversion. Now there's probably seven, eight of us that are employed in some are directly employed in the trust. So there's four of us that are directly employed in the trust, not three, one, two, three, yeah, four. And there's the new PM mentors that have come on, and like we might move on to different positions that will probably create something for them to progress in. Mm-hmm. So it's really important, I think, for for a progression, for especially for peer support and lived experience STR workers or, or lived experience team members, that there's a progression and development process within this kind of journey. And I think we've kept that intact and kind of kept that integrity in place for people to grow and develop them so like me and uh, Jasmine have had loads of few conversations around stuff like this you're you're an expert in your role you've you've been employed and you're merit you've come in you're gonna you're gonna bring something to the table don't ever feel that you can't voice your opinion don't feel like we're gonna judge you when you're gonna say something because we might get something from what you've just said that we haven't even probably seen like an earlier example of in the room in the room when Earl came in and they were talking about something and, and, and Jasmine said I oh, have you thought of this so it's like, how do we work collaboratively together? And I think that's a really important factor in that. Mm. And I think even for liaison and diversion as a service, it's even the journey that we've taken and what, as a service and organisation part of Birmingham and Solihull Mental Health, what we've learned as a trust of employing you guys and what, how we're passing that on and giving that advice and Neelam as a service manager and stuff, sort of taking that on and saying, this is how you go about you know, employing individuals with this and breaking down them barriers. So job descriptions have been chipping, with yeah, the chipping, you know, chipping away all, all, all the red tape as it comes, and nothing's a no. It's just not turned into a yes yet. Yeah. So I suppose it's just chipping away at everything, um, and it's it's coming mm. together. So this is the pos- It's a whole positive journey. It's got challenges, but we've we've got overcome. And we still will have the challenges, but I'm so really proud to work with such a team, honestly, and uh, and with the mindsets that each one of us have, you know, 
to 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 um, bring change about really, and not just change about for the people that we work with outside, but with each other to empower change and encouragement and 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 belief in each other that you know together we can kind of do this. Yeah. yeah I just want to go back to something Samir said about actually not losing what we've been employed for our own lived experience and whatever. Yeah. And this is just the way that I think. Um, where I am in my life today and in my employment and what have you. It's quite easy for me to be on the prison landing and buy into everything that the lads are experiencing when they want to articulate what they're going through and how terrible this service may be or terrible this person is not doing this. And I can put myself back in that situation and it's just negative, negative, negative. Because at that time, that's all we've got. That's all we've got because we've got nothing positive to put on the table because we haven't allowed ourselves to experience anything positive as yet. And I, I like having to challenge myself as to not buy into that uh, and to actually, okay then, I'm not negating what you're saying that you're experiencing, but we can go about it a different way. Mm. And that was a few years in the making because in my previous employment, I did find myself just basically agreeing with what the service users were saying. Yeah, they're terrible, they're terrible. Because my recent experience of those was, yeah, they're terrible. And not realising I'm not there now and I've got to be able to apply what I'm doing in a different way now. Where I'm not shutting you down and saying what you're experiencing isn't true, but it's not my job to countersign it no more. Mm. I've got to be part of the solution and not the problem. I didn't like what you're talking about the boundaries because I think for me I like I think this is a really interesting kind of way of looking at something especially with people coming from a lived experience perspective and going onto the landings and experiencing that that kind of euphoric recall of withdrawing that physical symptom the way the atmosphere and the smell of the prison is mm. and that can be quite traumatic in itself because mm. you're reliving your experience in the criminal justice system and that don't that don't happen on every time i go into the prison so i'll give you an example um i went down the block to do an assessment with an individual where there was an individual just come out with something and there was two prison officers standing next to you on each side and it was he was making a phone call to his family. I remember my experience of when I was a potentially a Kate prisoner, where the individual was a Kate prisoner, hence why he was had two staff members around him and he had Pate written outside his door. And I I've experienced that and that was the first time I entered an adult prison. For the first so I've done the young offenders. I went into an adult prison for the first time when I was a category A prisoner. Do you know what I'm trying to get at? And I think that brought some memories back for me and through hindsight and the work that, that I've done on, on myself over the years I had that kind of emotional release so I felt the pain I took myself to that emotional place because it triggered something but then at the same time because of my emotional resilience and the work that I've done past it I was able to overcome mm. what I was experiencing because where I'm at in my journey and I think it's really important when we are from a lived experience perspective, that you're in the right frame of mind when you're entering them yeah. kind of environment and spaces, because anything can trigger you. Do you know what I'm trying to get? Or the way somebody speaks to you, 
the way you walk on the landings, the way your eye contact is. I know as a prisoner, and as, as an ex-prisoner, when individuals, you have too much of an eye contact on a landing or on a ring, there's a chance of it that you can form into a kickoff. So as a, as, a, as, a, as a worker going into prison, I have to be really aware of my surroundings and my environment, how I conduct and carry myself. Mm. So And then I have to keep my integrity intact as well because people with lived experience, and this is just my experience, due to me being in the criminal justice for so many years, I always got this kind of worry in my head continuously throughout the process how I conduct myself because I don't want people to misperceive me and, and look at me as that ex-offender or ex-prisoner at that time or what was at that time. I'm not that person anymore today, but still have to be carried on. So I'm on eggshells, basically what I'm trying to get at is not every time I go in there, but it's really important how I conduct myself. I, I think when, when we actually get to go into the prison, when, we, we, when we're in uh, HMP Birmingham, one thing that I've definitely noticed that I'm more mindful of now is all of what you've just said there, but also down to as much as what you're actually wearing. Down to as much as what you're actually wearing, because um, I'm not saying this out of ego now, but I've got I've got some nice trainers and things, mm -hmm. and sometimes I actually wear designer trainers going into the prison, and it brings too much attention to you, so I've mm -hmm. stopped doing it. Yeah. Because the amount of people, the amount of lads on the landing that want to talk to you about what you're wearing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, well, for the first time it might be nice for your ego, but then when you're seeing this recurring pattern and what have you, actually, no, I'm not comfortable with this and I need to do something different about this. And on the flip side of that, though, it's really strange because just sticking to what you wear, it can be enough to actually start a conversation with a service user where mm. some barriers come down mm, and yeah. it's finding that balance. Yeah. I, I had some similar experiences. Mm. So when I first saw so coming from a pre-mental position, do you what you want, design the <laughs> clothes on, then you get employed in the trust. The contract, and there's obviously a dress code in it within, within the trust. And I'm still going in with my designs because I was on the mindset at that time. Yeah, man, they're, they're going to break the barrier. So I'm trying to get an engagement concept. But then the intent, the kind of, when people was approaching me, prisoners approached me, I like your jeans, man, I like your trainers, I like your jacket, or this, that, this, that. I started feeling really uncomfortable. I was thinking, listen, I'm just creating a kind of a space. And this is really important for the even to consider from this perspective, to, space for people to exploit. Because you got to understand how the prison system works and how easy it is to engage with a person and start talking about, yo, what you're saying, when you're going to bring up and I like your jeans, you know what I mean? And stuff like that, you can't turn again. So I actually thought to myself that I don't want that kind of kind of attention on me. Mm. So I went away with it, and at that time, Earl was working with a different company. And I spoke to Earl about it. I was like, oh, this is what's going on, you know. Do you know what I mean? Mm. What do I do? Do you know what I mean? It's really going against the kind of barriers in my head. Do you know what I mean? I don't really want to change my dress code. <laughs> and then I went into trousers and shirts because then I was in magistrate courts. So I went through a process where I went a bit too. Uh, smart <laughs> and that was going on for about a year and a half but I still got engagement what I'm trying to get at is and then I had to so it's something to really so people that are listening out there that you have to adapt and change to come trying to get and I think and you got to conform to where the trust policies are and so on and so on and it I didn't feel comfortable at that start when I was doing it. But that. it's funny because what you're describing is not even from I suppose partly from the trust perspective of of dress code it's a dress code of when you're going into prison 
as the role you're going in um and what and, and yeah the the eyes just as soon as that door opens onto the wing you know they're all looked at their heads all turned up they see who's coming through the door and who are you and what you're doing here and you know so obviously all just can come back to you guys I've had yeah, enough, it, has, I, it has to make I, me I, smile though because it's safe to say I probably won't have that problem I was going to say how do you manage that as a female no, you might have other problems <laughs> 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 I, I, I've had another experience that's I'm really, taking security with you <laughs> do you know what I had another experience that was quite I, I actually it was the first time that I felt scared and had fear so I've gone into the ring and this ring is in the prison it is uh, like gang affiliated so I'm not even going to say names and so on and so on or what ring it was and uh I went on the wing and these guys approached me and I've recognised this guy straight away. Mm. Me and him had, been, uh, had an altercation okay. years prior in, in the same establishment. And I've seen him and he's recognised me and I've recognised him and I'm on the wing so I'm with another practitioner. I have to be really careful now yeah. that how close I stand to this person mm. because imagine if he goes off again. Because when I'm in a different I'm in a different position. I'm not. If I was a prisoner, I wouldn't have cared. Yeah. But because I was in a professional capacity, I was fear of if he attacks me. So this is the kind of uh, uh, tape that's playing in my head. If he attacks me, I can't even hit him back because I'm gonna lose my job. This, this, I can't even like protect. You know, like what am I gonna do? To, I'm trying for this situation, and my, the practitioner she hasn't even aware about that. I've got all of this fear going through me. And then the guys approach me, and I've still kept my distance because I've given him. The, if uh, he does attack me, I've got the space to for, to to counteract it in some mm. kind of way. And he's gone to me. Do you know what it is? It's in the NHS lanyard around my neck. Mm. He goes, you know, I'm suffering with mental health, and there's no chance you can get me any support. And I thought, wow, how powerful is that? That me and this individual have had an interaction, previously on a prison sentence, and today he's asking me to help him. And what I'd done was I goes, what is it that you need help with? Oh, look, my medication's not getting sorted. I need to see the mental health team. No one's come and see me and so on and so And then the practitioner got it sorted, got the mental health team involved. When I've come off that landing, I went, and like, took that breath. And then I told the practitioner that, oh, look, me and him had a previous altercation. And so she goes, look, as long as you told me and that, we'll just be more vigilant. And these are the kind of things from a lived experience perspective that we have to always be on guard with because you might have had altercations with people because I was in the prison criminal justice from a young age so I've had probably many altercations within the prison system but you might come across people like that so I think it's a valuable you have to be in an emotional position to ask help and tell stuff that this is the case and not feel like you're grassing or you're talking about where you're at because it's really important for your team to understand where you're at. Mm. Any time I go into the prison and it, there's levels to it, but any time I go into the prison, I know I'm hypervigilant. I'm very aware of my surroundings, uh, very wary of... Because nine times out of ten, whatever landing we go through, I'll either recognise someone or know someone. Yeah. And, it, and it's really quite strange. And it's sad. noticed that about Earl when I go with him as well. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's quite strange and sad in a way, because the last time I found myself in custody was over ten years ago now but we're still seeing the same familiar faces who sadly haven't found that way out yet. Mm. And um, But then also just knowing that the landings can change like that. 
can change and you're very aware of a, the atmosphere that goes with a prison landing and you can tell without anything being said oh something's not right here something's happening here or something's gonna go off yeah uh, and it isn't like uh, uh, myself and Aruna experienced it where we was on an assessment with resettlement and this is how dangerous a prison can be really the fact that there's three members of staff speaking to one door and then inmates going to the door directly next to us and doing what they're doing where they're attacking another inmate not giving just trying not to swear <laughs> yeah no, just not caring at all yeah. that okay well there's staff here but but knowing how prison works per se and yeah i'm i'm constantly aware and i suppose when i first started going into the prison with this job because i've gone into the prison with other employments and voluntary and other stuff that i do and it's never really got me like this but being in hmp birmingham with liaison and diversion and actually really getting to walk around the whole prison estate and then really acknowledging wow i can remember rattling in that cell i can remember really being poorly in that cell I can remember my brother doing that in that cell. I can remember seeing that in that cell and just walking around the landings. And, and yeah, it, 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 it's quite strange, the recalls that come that I've buried long ago, but now you're being presented with it all again. You know what I mean? So how do you deal with that when you come out? If you're feeling overwhelmed by that, how would you, what would you do in that sense? I think, uh, thankfully, where I am in my life today, mm -hmm. I feel no way about actually telling someone and actually talking to whether it be my friends, whether it be my support network outside of work, whether it be the practitioners I work with, I'm quite comfortable in actually saying, wow, you know what I mean? I, I weren't expecting to feel however it is I felt um, um, because that's what's helped me get to where I am today. So I, I know the importance of actually letting stuff out. I, I, I've been through a process where I felt like I was a criminal again. Mm. Where it was regarding my betting, and 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 uh, security staff were called into a cabin. All I went in there to find out was my what's going on in my past. And the woman didn't ever deal with anybody with from someone from a lived experience. So she's seen I'm in the prison. <laughs> what is he doing here? He hasn't his clearance hasn't happened. She's put my national insurance number into the system and it don't tell you why it's been declined or why, what was the reason. She's saying that you're not being given your clearance or you must be some high-profile offender. We need to get you out of jail. So she's found security. I mean, when the security have come, I have to conduct myself, conduct myself in a such a way when I'm not coming across aggressive, mm. but at the same time getting my point across to say, look, if you escort me out to prison due to... The clearance is not happening, not from my perspective, because I haven't done anything wrong. I've come in to find out what's going on. And because that communication hasn't happened with me, it's not my fault that I'm in this position today. Do you know what I mean? And I actually felt like I was a prisoner again. And I've got these two security officers in front of me. And I'm thinking, how do I conduct myself in front of this? And I'm, I'm, driven, I'm driven with fear because I don't want to lose my job because I worked too hard to get to where I am today. And then explaining to him, if you take me out of prison and escort me out of this, my reputation is on the line mm. to come trying to get out. And he's like, five prisoners see me, staff that I've built relationships with over the last two and a half years in the prison see me, they're going to perceive that I've done something wrong. Mm. And, and thankful enough, the, the prison officers 
said, we're not going to escort you. Your colleague can take you. But by when I, by the time I come out of the prison, I was emotional. Do you know what I mean? And I thought, you know, this felt like my world crashed. Do you know what I mean? And that's the reality of it because I know how much work I've done on myself and to do what I'm doing today. And through that kind of thing, it's been a blessing in a way. Even that time, at that time, I didn't feel like it was. And I, and I got guidance and seek and support and spoke to people about it. But it wasn't a nice feeling. Do you know what I'm trying to get out? And I think these are the some of the, from, especially from a lived experience, because we've always got that done. hanging over us, our criminal records. Do you know what I'm trying to get? And I think that's going to continue for the rest of our life. Do you know what I mean? But it's really important for people to understand how do you support that individual through that process. And not but the positive thing is we're, we're having a go, mm. you yeah. know, and you've got people out there or, or we're spreading the word through things like this now. So things can happen and changes are happening and it will, it will spread. Yeah, yeah, you know, actually, I've got uh, faith. I'm time. trying to get it. I know yeah. that, you know, I'm going through a process. You know, I'm trying to get, I've got my clearance. So just, I'm trying to be a bit more cheeky and trying to get extra clearance. <laughs> but the thing is, that's a process. And, and it's like a, a personal goal to me as an individual that I need to achieve. And if I don't achieve it, I don't achieve it. You know, I'm trying to get up. But at the same time, I will fight it as well. You know, I'm trying to get up because yeah. it's to, to keep my kind of integrity intact with it. Uh, but I understand that it's a prison. It's not a, I'm going to the park. Do you know what I mean? It's, I'm actually going into a prison stand. It's um, Kind of high for high profile vendors in there as well, so I understand. And, and, and it's strange because me, me and Samir have banter about this, and um, for me, I, I actually think, wow, we really do sometimes need to actually put the brakes on a little bit, right, and actually acknowledge, no, we're in the prison. <laughs> we're in the prison. <laughs> when I had to fill out the vetting forms, I felt like a pretty, and I haven't even got any. <laughs> And I felt yeah, like yeah, a criminal yeah. because they came back to for me for more information, and I thought, whoa. And, and, so. and you know the simple fact that <laughs> not just the fact that we're employed by the NHS, Birmingham Solid Mental Health Trust, but we are free to go in and out of HMP Birmingham and do our work. Uh, and just acknowledging that that is a massive sea change in itself, mm. where they know that they've got ex-cons walking the landings to try and support other prisoners. That's a massive what a change, change in what itself. What a change from possibly 10 years ago, like you mm-hmm. say. Because you know what it is? Because I've got a different spin to that. Because at the end of the day, I've been involved in some of the vetting processes and nationally, there's already guidelines around some of this stuff that the, sometimes the prison, the prison's not even aware of that these documents exist for people with criminal records that I've got can't have access to certain things and certain things they're not access to. So I think for me, it, it is a personal goal. Yes, I'm allowed to go into the prison. But at the same time, I know just by relying on somebody else to take me to prison isn't letting me do my job more efficiently than I could probably do if I had access, more access, for for an example of keys. I could roam around the jail and do what I need to do with clients. I'm trying to get out, I don't have to rely on others. And that has been the biggest barrier for me by being in the, on, on the prison pathway because I'm not allowed the clearance. I have got clearance, but I'm just waiting on the process to happen. And if it don't, it is what it is. There's nothing I can do about it, but I'm still gonna try that process. Because for me to deliver my job more efficiently, I need to have access. Like other people have got access. I'm not any different because I've got a criminal record. But, but I, I believe as well, because we've had, me and Samir have these conversations quite a lot, and I believe that we are now, with all the work that Samir's put in with the practitioners and the management structure within the trust, and there is people on board in the prison and what have you, and there's still obviously obstacles to overcome. And I believe even if it doesn't happen, whilst we're employed, 
we've started the groundwork that whoever comes in after us will be able to pick it up and continue to progress. Because if we, we actually think that where we are today, um, it might sound cliched and cheesy, but we're standing on the shoulders of the giants that were there before us yeah. that have put the groundwork in to allow us to be where we are. And we will be that next giant for the people to basically yeah, I, I, take I, I it forward. Yeah. Me listening to you two, mm. all I can think is this. In our life journeys, we've come up against things. Mm. But through perseverance, we've, we've overcome it. We might not have always got what we wanted, but you know, we get we 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 we, we builds our character to be able to move forward, and that's all I'm hearing there. No matter what happens, you don't give up, and you constant constantly persevere, and that's an important thing to have. I think for me, I'm proud of the work that I've done you know, over the last four and a half years of being a part of the Lazenet because I know I've done a lot of good work, not just locally and mm. nationally, mm. and and I'm respected nationally, and I think it's a journey, isn't it? To I'm trying to get, I think where I started, and like. Like me and Earl being employed together, be, being a friend and what so on. I remember when I first started and Earl goes to me, there's a job coming up with the laser and diversion service. So he was already employed through Charter as a peer mentor. And I was in, I embarked on that journey and I took it to a certain direction. But like with the support of others, I, I personally feel and strongly believe that without us doing it collectively, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I can't do it all on my own. I'm trying to get it. We have to do it together and I think some of the stuff that we're involved in the prison sitting on board meetings the the, the reducing reoffending meetings working with the governors in the prison working with all of the teams in the prison we've got a proper strong foothold in the in the prison at the moment and the relationships that we've got with staff they're like cater for us whenever we make a phone call go through processes with them but they don't have to they're taking time out of their work hours to support us to go i'm trying to get and i think and hence why we've done that is because of the groundwork that we've done in there and mm -hmm. kind of we're quite visual in there. Do you know what I'm trying to I'm quite mm -hmm. I think if I wasn't the character of who I was, I don't know what direction the prison layers and service would have gone. And that's just my personal opinion on it. Do you know what I'm trying to because of my perseverance and staying committed to the cause. Yeah. And believing in not losing that. If that makes some, sense. For some of those that are taking mm. them calls and timeouts, such as resettlement it's a relief that a service like ours is there yeah. because because like us they're human and they see these people and they speak to them they assess them they talk to them and they want to help and but their their job stops somewhere as well and it's mm -hmm. nice for them to know that there's actually a service there that's going to help this yeah. genuine person that needs that support and stuff so it's kind of meeting all them little gaps yeah um so i think it's actually a sense of relief for them as well on the you know uh, so they want to take that time out and have that conversation with us uh, uh, about an individual no i definitely agree with that I, I think my experience of the resettlement since i've been in post is probably all of them actually but there's definitely some that just shine above the rest that know they really like what you just said they really do actually mm. want to help or at least know there's going to be some support for this lad mm. when he does mm. get out mm. apart mm. from what i've been able to do within yeah. the constraints yeah. of my employment yeah. and yeah. i think it's yeah. that kind of the relationship that we build to show come from an outcome perspective and feeding into some of the kind of reports that are going into the prison in what the collaborative work that's going on into the community, the, the, the smooth transition that's going on into the community, and feeding that back into the prison. 
and it's really important that when we are feeding that back into the prison a pillar people are willing to support you and trust because trust is a big element in what we do does this service because there's a lot of service say we do this on the tin you know what we're an amazing saying anyway, we do x y and z we demonstrate good practice mm-hmm. we demonstrate what we say we're going to do we do hence why they trust and do what they do with mm-hmm. us because they know there's a service that exists that are going to do the support like with, with the prison for an example like uh, there's been conversations and like because now it's changed from a uh, resettlement to amps and you know they're not under the crc and there's going to be programs with people uh four-week programs for short-term sentences and so on they want us actively involved in this stuff for for us to engage with them individuals that they're going to be doing group work with and we've had stakeholder meetings around this stuff and and, and so for us to continue delivering the service that we're doing because they actually buy into what we're doing yeah guys i've really enjoyed this conversation and i feel like it could just continue and continue <laughs> but we're unfortunately running out of time so i guess the last point would be what advice would you offer to somebody who's feeling a bit apprehensive about coming out and wants to do well but doesn't know how to go about starting their journey outside I think the only word of advice that I would give is engage with the support and engage with the resettlement plan. And uh, you are going to find things difficult, but as long as you've got somebody hand holding you throughout the process, anything's possible because I was an ex-prisoner and didn't see any kind of hope or didn't even know that certain services exist and I was kind of in that mindset, but I know change is possible. But it takes you to make the first step with help. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was just thinking then that uh, realistically, what advice would you give somebody coming out of the prison? Yeah. Depends who's in front of you. Yeah. Because what advice I might say to one person would be completely irrelevant to the next person we meet the next day. Mm, that's uh, and uh, I, I think just keeping it real that um, change is possible. It's not going to be easy, but it's possible. You know what I mean? Uh, and then just giving them that little seed if they don't already know that I'm proof of it Mm -hmm. I'm proof of it cool thanks guys thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time (laughs) mic drop Thank you for tuning into this episode. Be sure to check out our monthly podcast and if you want to reach out, you can contact us via our webpage at bsmhft.nhs.uk. If you are someone who has been affected by any of the topics covered, please remember you can access help. Information for our services is listed on our website.